0: Chris Clark is in a way better mood today than he was <laughs> yesterday. He is dancing behind the scenes to our um, elevator music intro. There, it is elevator music. We, we <laughs> plan we're compiling our own highlight reel to uh, for someone
1: to leak later. L- luckily, n- nobody could. And, <laughs> nobody could leak our show unless it's one of us, so we'll know who did it. Yes, if, uh, and actually, it would only be you because you do all the production value
0: yep and we have not had to um to beep either one of us out yet so <laughs> not yet that's good but uh anyway he's chris i'm wes this is gc live day two rolling along man i tell you it seems like once a season gets rolling it just rolls and and here we are You're right turning the page a bit from tennessee i'm sure we'll still go into that a little bit i think I think the fan base is still reeling a little bit uh, from what I see online, but talk a little bit of that. And I I think, Chris, the conversation sort of turns to Florida, but then the Tennessee game maybe through the prism of what does it mean going forward, you know, as opposed to just what happened Saturday night, more how much of this is correctable. How much of this is something we're going to see more of this season? What changes do you make if you're South Carolina? And sort of going from there. Uh, So I think that's sort of the the way the focus of this show will sort of turn out. We'll obviously take some questions. But again, this is GC Live. Brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Hit them up, 803-926-1493. You see the graphic above our head. That is home of the game day chair, which Chris will tell you a little bit more about later on in the show. But, okay, so listening to Muschamp today, he obviously looked back a little bit at Tennessee still, talked a little bit about Florida as well. I completed my rewatch of the game, took a bunch of notes on yesterday. Uh, but, but Chris, I think first of all, we have to start with the injuries because that's, I guess, the biggest news from the day. South Carolina getting, really, I would say, positive news on Izzy McQuamu and Jamar Brown, but some some somewhat surprising and not good news on Sherrod Green. And potentially, I mean, dude, we're talking about a 10-game SEC schedule. So there's nine games left. There is a bye week. So about 10 weeks, he's going to miss four to six weeks. Um, so depending on how many he actually misses and how serious this injury is, th- this could be a, a big loss for South Carolina with Green suffering a uh, subluxed hip and a fracture in his hip, a very just odd injury, according to Will Muschamp. But, uh, you know, this is the first major injury of the playing season for South Carolina. Obviously, Marshawn Lloyd uh, was the big one in the preseason, but as far as a guy missing a, a large amount of time, this could have him out for half of the season, which obviously is going to hurt South Carolina, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, half or more, and um... – you know, so if there is some good news to take from it, maybe you get him back later in the year. And then, you know, the other thing is he's got he's to work himself back in, you know, playing shape-wise and all those things. I uh, don't know, like, when you start recovery. There's no surgery, as Muschamp said. Um, you don't have to think about it in terms of, okay, if he's going to miss the next four games, five games, six games, you don't think about a red shirt at this point. You don't say, well, let's, you know, let's hold him over because everybody's got a free year. So, it looks like you'll get him back, but for these next several games, you know that's it becomes more difficult. You know that you're you're already down a little bit. You're counting on you got a, a freshman in Mokaba, you got Damani Staley playing the will, who you know had a had a good spring. He got a lot of work in this spring because Ernest Jones was out. Spencer Easton Riddle was a guy that they got back. You know preseason, who's on the depth chart and is a guy that could play and might factor in a little bit more for them now. Um, you know in Mokaba, so uh, Rosendo Lewis won't be cleared for, I think a couple more weeks, Mushchamp said. So, you know, that that's the sort of difficult thing is it first of all, it takes down a starter, but then it, your depth is probably not ideal there at that linebacker spot. And Sherrod's a guy that has had some, you know, some ups some downs during his career at South Carolina, but he's certainly progressed during his career to where he's been playing better. And so losing him, I think is is certainly a blow, but, this is a team that you know. We knew they couldn't afford a lot of injuries to key players. So far, they've been in decent shape. Uh, if they can get McQuammy back, get Brown back, you know, get Huntley back in a week or two, as a guy who could help up front even as a true freshman. I think that'd be a positive for this team. They, they just can't they can't have these things you know happen. I, I saw the green play and it was didn't see exactly how he fell, but it looked like just one of those things just maybe fell the wrong way. Sort of an
0: unusual situation. Yeah, man. So I I think you look and obviously uh, I I would have put linebacker as one of those positions where uh, I feel like they had good depth as far as good rotational depth, um, good enough rotational depth in that there's plenty of guys to where you don't have to play the same person the entire game. Now, in in the case of Ernest Jones, he's not coming off the field most games unless there's a reason for him to come off. Right. You know, I, I think he's sort of earned that. He's going to be on the field at all times. Now they are they are happy, I think, with what Damani Staley has done. Uh, you know, basically, all preseason camp, stepping up, being able to sort of play some Mike, play some Will, and be a veteran in that linebacking core. I, I do think, you know, that there there's a little bit more pressure on Damani now as a starter than there is sort of being more of a special teams slash. Role player at linebacker, I think Sherrod gave you a little bit more from an athleticism standpoint as far as being able to match up, and uh, you know that that's something if I'm if I'm Florida, especially uh, with some of the weapons they have, uh, I'll be curious to see if they try to exploit uh, you know someone being out for for South Carolina this linebacking core, and you know I, I think looking forward, how much does Mokaba start to insert himself? In this lineup, eventually, as far as being in the rotation, um, you have your snap count up on GamecockCentral.com right now for subscribers. Did did Mo get any snaps on defense? I didn't see him out there.
1: No, uh, no, didn't didn't play any snaps. But man, I, th- I think you're right. I think he might have an opportunity to to come in and spell. I mean, he was the second guy that you know, would you take Sherrod out of the equation? Now it falls to Damani. And then it, the question becomes, well, who's the backup now? And so Mo Cobb was the first guy out of Will Muschamp's mouth. Physically got a ton of ability, right? They really, really like what he brings to the field. Obviously, when you're talking about playing that linebacker position, um, you know, as a freshman, it could be difficult because there's going to be a lot of things thrown at you from really high level athletes. I think of this week, really tough ask, right? Because, not only are you thinking about, okay, playing within the defense, playing assignment football, playing fast, taking on big linemen. Now you're talking about, okay, we got Kyle Pitts to deal with, right? If, if you're thinking about the defensive staff, how much are you willing to play a freshman, even though he's really talented? And physically, is probably one of the better guys on the team in terms of matching up, being able to turn, run, be physical. Uh, but now you're talking about Kyle Pitts, who Muschamp likes to talk about that C area, Talk about lining up against linebacker, you know, matching up against linebackers. Kyle Pitts is a really, really difficult ask. And Dan Mullen, I think, is is probably going to look at the tape and say, you know, where can we put this guy? Kyle Pitts can hurt corners, safeties, linebackers. And so that, I think, is going to be a key matchup, you know, when it comes to this weekend. So that does beg the question, how much is Mo Cobble going to play? I think the answer is he's definitely in line for playing time now, probably as soon as this season. But it's going to be a storyline to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and the answer, Chris, today may be different um, in, in three, four, or five weeks. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah, so what's up to everybody? I, I see some folks. I, I see our normal guys getting in on, on YouTube. Appreciate all the support. Uh, Craig, Graham, Josh, uh, Stikman 83 uh, We got JEE on here. Um, Chris, they are calling you out for taking your shower right before the show it could just wet. be my new hairstyle y'all don't know yeah it could y'all don't know chris Jells's hair like if y'all <clears throat> not true at all but uh yeah i, I mean i if if ax shower gel or Irish spring or whoever wants in we'd we'd love to have you as a sponsor that's a really good call uh jee so man i, I think some I, I wouldn't say much big coming out of the presser today like Breaking type news other than the injury report, obviously some little things here and there that I think you can pick up on moving forward for South Carolina as far as what it means you know uh, against Florida, like I said earlier, the Izzy news sounded positive to me he now any anytime these guys say he ran around some um that doesn't you know that really doesn't tell you how much they actually practiced right so it was funny, uh, Jamie Robinson used the same exact terminology when he was asked, as Will Muschamp, you know, did later on. They ran around some. But sounded somewhat positive, I would say, for Izzy. Anytime there's a groin injury like that, I think you have to you have to be careful with it, obviously. You don't want to push it back too soon. But very clearly, man, with a Florida offense, that's going to spread you out. We know they're going to put a bunch of weapons on the field. Even their tight ends run like receivers. So this is a big game for South Carolina's cornerbacks, for the secondary in general, and having have an Izzy out there just because, and we, we had a question about, will South Carolina play a lot of dime this week? I think if they're healthy enough and, and you know, if the right guys are performing well, then, then yes, absolutely. I, I think you're going to have to get as much athleticism on the field to try to match up. We saw Muschamp mention Brad Johnson. Maybe um, maybe he gets on the field a little bit more this week as more of a buck in some pass rush situations because, for the most part, I don't know if your regular package is going to be used a ton uh, you know, against Florida. So more athleticism, the better, because Mullen's going to spread you out. He's going to try to pick you apart. He's going to hit all his weapons. And um, probably, I'm trying to think of the rest of the schedule off the top of my head, this may be possibly your biggest task of the year as far as just pure um, ability to go up and down the field in the passing game in particular and just playing against a guy who's always going to have a plan. He's got a great feel for the game from a play-calling standpoint, and he's going to throw something different at you probably too that you, you don't necessarily expect. So the secondary has a, a huge task this week.
1: They do, and you know, th- there's a clip that's been circulating from um, uh, Rogers from the SEC Network. I always get his name mixed up, um, but you know he's talking. That would be about, Jordan, right? Jordan Rogers, yeah. About how Dan Mullen ran the same play like ten times, you know, against and That's something that. Muschamp has talked about, I think he talked about it some in this press conference, but he talks about it other years before they played Florida, or even when they played Mississippi State. Remember in 2016, they went to Starkville and played Muschamp's first year, to where Dan Mullen will get to the same play in a variety of different ways. You know, maybe some eye candy, maybe they could look different, but they have a lot of base plays that they're going to go to, and he just does a really good job structuring that offense, you know. You look at Kyle Pitts, you look at Copeland, Grimes. Kyle Trask has done a really good job with his accuracy. Six touchdowns in that game. Both teams, Florida and Ole Miss, were explosive offensively. Both teams went over 600 yards. There were, uh, I think, let's see, Florida had 32 first downs and Ole Miss had 29, right? So there's a lot of offense. Both teams over 600 yards. Uh, Ole Miss was even more explosive in the passing game. Florida averaged 6.8 yards a rush people tend to think of Florida and it's accurate. And they think of Dan Mullen, they think of Florida's, you know, passing the football, certainly Trask lit it up. Kyle Pitts had eight catches, four touchdowns, but they ran it for 6.8 yards of carry, you know? And so when you're that explosive and that multiple, that diverse, it certainly helps your running game. And so they, they were difficult to deal with. And both teams had a lot of possessions because there was a lot of offense in that game. Right. So, what you can expect is South Carolina to keep that pace, you know, offensively South Carolina. I don't think anybody can pick them to go in and and put 600 yards on, on anybody, especially going down to the, to the swamp right now. Right. So I would think that their plan is try to possess the ball more, try to limit Florida's possessions because they are potentially so explosive. So it is tough in terms of the matchups, you know, that they're going to have to face and they're going to have to find a way to affect Kyle Trask.
0: No doubt, man. Got to shout out a few more people. Uh, my long-lost buddy, Wendy Goss, went to high school with Wendy. She's actually my distant cousin. She's on Facebook watching. And uh, <laughs> apparently, Chris, Stickman is Stickman. Uh, the Y in there threw me off, but uh, at least we'll get your name right next time. Stickman, a uh, an avid watcher here on our YouTube slash Facebook slash Twitter podcast show live, whatever the heck this thing is we're doing. But, dude, so I I was listening, and by the way, if y'all want to hear what Dan Mullen had to say, get some Florida perspective, I did um, steal their video and upload it onto the Gamecock Central YouTube as well. I haven't listened. He talked for like 35 minutes, I think. Um, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but I did watch the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of it, and he had some interesting comments just about how offenses – are maybe actually a little bit ahead of defenses right now in some instances because and hit this was his maybe guess or thought on why is that when they were doing the walkthroughs you were able to have a football out there and now I didn't I didn't think you were able to actually deliver the football like throw throw it uh, but but Dan Mullen said you were um, so maybe I'll check into that but. Um <laughs> basically his point being when they did all this extra work, defenses weren't out there hitting people and you know and, and tackling. So he still that was his maybe guess on why the offenses have been able to get in a little bit more work as far as actually doing what they do in a game than the defenses, which even in scrimmages, you don't really these days, you know. I mean, how many scrimmages did SouthCon have? Two, three. But you're not you're not hitting the entire time sometimes even with the scrimmages, so it does take a little bit of time for your defenses to catch up to the physicality that um, that you're going to see. And I, I think maybe that extends out to uh, to some of the line play as well. But certainly tackling now from a South Carolina perspective, and I think Mullen's point from their perspective was that they struggled with some tackling issues, some ball pursuit issues, um, even said effort. I didn't see that from South Carolina. Now I saw a few mental mistakes, which maybe goes back to lack of reps. Um, And if one guy's out of a spot, you can get sort of, you know, I can mess you up at at this level, but I didn't see effort or I didn't really see tackling issues. I think Carolina had 11 missed tackles in the game, which for a game one sec opponents, really not bad, Chris.
1: Yeah. I think Mushchamp noted that they had three or four on one play. So, People look at, say, 11 missed tackles. That's not acceptable, but that that's not, you know, you're not going to go through an SEC game or a high level opponent without having missed tackles. Sorry, that's just that's the way it is. Any team, any team in the country, you're going to have some level of missed tackles. Obviously, you, you minimize those, but when you play against skill guys, and, and Florida is going to be a taller task in my view than Tennessee, but t- Tennessee's got a couple good backs. They have some receivers that, you know, have a little bit of speed and some skill think Florida's will be a tougher ask. And so it will be a huge, you know, question in this game, but you're right, man. I think the middle, I I didn't see any effort issues with South Carolina either close game uh, pretty much throughout. I mean, South Carolina was down 14 at one point, but it was a close game, plenty of effort. Like you said, just some mental mistakes, maybe even the effort overrode some of those things. I mean, you you think about the little, the busted flea flicker play, right? Where the, you know, the Sam linebacker doesn't take the player to the flat and it left it open and they're able to get, I think, a 33 yard gain on that. That's an that's a play where your your player's trying to go rush the quarterback. He's on a busted play. He's showing effort, but it was just a mental mistake because he didn't do his job. Muschamp mentioned how, you know, sometimes when they went back on tape, some of the runs that they got gashed on by Tennessee, um, you know, were a player, you know, is peeking in another gap, not doing his job, and so those are the types of things where it becomes a, a question for this defensive. You know, they can be better because we've seen they've got some athletes, you know, that if they can stay healthy, they're capable of being really good. We saw that in spurts. But when they get in trouble is when they have those mental mistakes. So can they clean those things up after game one? We'll have to see. And they're going to have to do it against an opponent that I think is a good bit more dangerous than Tennessee. Not as good up front, but quarterback play and skill position play, I think, is more dangerous.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, uh, absolutely. And <laughs> Paul called me out there on Facebook a little bit. I And, yeah, if you have a ball, you can probably throw it out there. But there are – my point being there are certain really weird rules when it comes to the NCAA about when you can do what. And some walkthroughs you know, involve going out and just literally doing walkthroughs. And some walkthroughs involve you actually being able to go out there and, and deliver the football a little bit. So, um, And I, I don't know exactly what – time period mull was talking about and i don't even remember the various rules when they went to you know they had walkthroughs and they had like the ota style walkthroughs and they had the actual practices and there were a lot there were more sort of different uh segments of as far as how things were broken up this year this preseason than there ever have been before so let's talk receivers man because that that's going to be a topic it has been all off season. Um, according to one of our posters on Gamecock Central, we've been hyping up Rico Powers to be apparently the next, um, Alshon Jeffrey or AJ Green. Uh, but anyway, so I thought there were some interesting comments from Muschamp today because he was asked, Hey, what, what about more receivers getting involved? And his response I thought was, was sort of telling, he said, well, more guys have to get open. And, you know, we, we've seen comments about, well, why, why haven't other receivers gotten the ball? Certainly in the case of, you know, people asking about Luke Doty, Luke Doty was not on the field. But some of the other receivers were on the field. I believe you can probably surmise that there were some plays called that, that could have gone to them if they had been open, from what Muschamp said. So I, I think you look at the receivers not named Shai Smith. Nickname Xavier Leggett. Leggett did make some plays for South Carolina. Muschamp's waiting on those guys to step up, and I think right now he reiterated it. It goes back to last year, right? We talked about this. Teams are going to play man coverage on South Carolina. They're going to continue to do that. They're going to they're going to just match up however many receivers Carolina has out there. They're going to put that many you know cornerbacks on the field. They're going to play man coverage, and they're going to say go go win against you know, man press. And until South Carolina's other guys can step up and do that, it's probably going to be a lot of Shy Smith, some Xavier Leggett, and then tight ends and running backs. So I think that, to me, that that stood out a lot that Muschamp was sort of so forward about it. He said, look, to get other guys involved, other guys are going to have to get open.
1: Yeah, so a few points there. Totally agree with you, and, and it's a good point. Look, here's what we talked about after the Tennessee game. Shy Smith had a really good game overall, ten, 10 catches. That doesn't get done every week. Hasn't happened around here a lot. Mike Bobo, I thought, did a really good job of scheming Shy Smith open. Colin Hill, you know, he was not always the primary read. Champ pointed that out, but he was getting open. You know, he's, he's the one guy on this roster you can point at that will most consistently get open. They also schemed up some stuff for him and put him in some good situations. Tennessee knew that going into, they looked, they could look at the roster and look at the past production and say, shot Smith's going to be the guy they're looking for. So Mike Bobo, given that still did a really good job and Colin Hill did a good job finding him. Um, but what we said right after the Tennessee game was look going forward. Teams now have some things on tape of they know how Mike Bobo is going to use them. And so they're going to have to figure out other options. They need more production from other guys, period. Like Mushamp said, you know, aside from Leggett and Smith, they just didn't have any guys that affected the game. They didn't play fast enough is another thing that he mentioned. Now, even more than ever, teams now have something tangible to put on tape on Shy, And they're really going to even more being key, key in on him. Another thing Mushamp pointed out was, you can't really change, okay, we're going to bracket our coverage on this guy in the middle of the game. It's a little bit harder to make that adjustment. Now teams maybe go in a little bit more that they have had a little bit of a taste of what Mike Bobo's doing. And he's got more tricks in the bag, I'm sure, and can make adjustments himself. But they'll be keying in on that even more. So it it becomes more of a concern even after game one of what are you going to do? You know, I thought Mike Bobo did a good job of structuring the offense and spreading, trying at least to spread the ball around. They got the running backs involved, got the tight ends involved, could have been involved more, you know, and just looking for those guys. So it'll be on him to, to scheme those things up. It'll be on those players to get open, to run the correct routes, for the offense to find a block, for Hill to find him. Um, but it is even more, you know, urgent, I think, to find some other offensive playmakers now more than ever.
0: By the way, we've got somebody weighing in on Facebook um, I want to mention here. Is this the Noah Whiteside former Gamecock receiver? Noah, is that you? I think it is from the icon. I can't see uh, any of your other pictures on the chat, but one of um, one of my one of the most iconic plays I would say of the Spurrier era was uh, the very first throw or very first touchdown against um, UCF on that Thursday night. Steve Spurrier dialing up the old uh, Mills play deep down the middle from from Blake Mitchell to Noah Whiteside. Uh, what's up, Noah? Hope you're doing well, man. Good to see you around. Uh, comment in there and let us know what you're up to, man. Um, had a question about Kevion Mullins. He played what, Chris, uh, four snaps?
1: Yeah, I think it was four, so,
0: yep. So he was out there. They, they rotated the other tight ends in a bit. One thing I – maybe wasn't surprised about, but one thing I did notice was that um, Adam Prentice played a decent amount yeah. up sort of H-back um, in some of those two tight end sets as, you know, as more of a tight end than he did a fullback. So, um, you know, and they, one thing I think you and I noticed at Colorado State, man, is that he, he'll move his fullbacks around. Like, you're not just a statue who just lines up at fullback and doesn't really get involved in other aspects. Um, You are lined up at fullback. Sometimes you're lined up as a second tight end at times. There was even a play where the fullback was motioned all the way out to the field side, um, spread, you know, spread way out. And basically what, what that does is it forces Tennessee or whoever your opponent is to make a decision. If they're playing man coverage, are we going to, vacate one of our linebackers and take him all the way out of the box, you know, to the sideline, or are we going to frankly waste covering a cornerback, you know, covering a fullback with a cornerback. So I thought that was that was an interesting wrinkle that was down near the goal line at some point in the game. I don't remember exactly when, but so they they do some different things with their fullbacks, with their tight ends. I think we will continue to see them do more of those things. Particularly with the receivers not necessarily stepping up yet, other than Shai and um, Xavier Leggett, maybe you get Mullins a bit more involved. Um, you know, maybe some of the other tight ends. I think the receivers, or excuse me, the running backs, will continue to be a big part of the passing game. They had some key plays, but then I, I do think um, South Carolina is going to have to get better execution on some of these screen throws that they that was is a big part of what he did at Colorado State. You and I were sort of texting a little bit some of these screenplays were like one block away mm-hmm. from going from and the thing about a screen it's like the the line between no gain or a loss and a potential big play is like very thin you know yeah. and it's like sometimes a screenplay is sort of all or nothing and if the defense can if the defense can sort of defeat one block, then they blow up the play. But if they don't, there's like this one opportunity to make the stop, and then there's a lot of grass in between that first line of defense and then the safeties who have a lot of times been run off down the field by other guys. So, I mean, there was one play where Carolina had a screen set up for Shai Smith. One of the offensive linemen comes out, and we don't know what his actual responsibility was, but if he hits one guy, this play went for nothing it's probably 10 or 15 yard gain. So I think knowing what the big, how big the screens were at Colorado State that's something that has got to be um something they clean up moving forward.
1: And I I remember even at Georgia, you know, the running back screen game was so big um that wild game, the Melvin Ingram fake punt game, you know, 45 to 42 both teams put up well, Georgia put up even more offensive points because South Carolina had, what, a special teams touchdown and at least one defensive touchdown. And Georgia just kept going up and down the field, scored late. I think Bobos threw, you know, 37 (laughs) running back screens in that game. It was just – it was all over the place. So it's certainly something he likes. You know, they had some – when Zaquandre White came in the game – I was always keying in on is this a running back screen right because that's that's sort of his bag that's something that he's could potentially excel at, at with his space abilities, but he just didn't really get that much of a chance. He had he had a one or two plays whether it was a run play or a screen that was sort of blown up. I remember they had one. Um, I think it was a receiver screen on the perimeter that you know the slot the receiver blocking sort of in the slot got blown up by safety coming down. That ruined the chance of that play. So they've got to get better in that category too. We're we're talking about receivers and tight ends constantly in terms of catching the ball. They got to get better in terms of perimeter blocking as well. Um I did see some good things on some of the runs. Xavier Laguette stood out sometimes for his perimeter blocking on some of the some of the perimeter stuff that the running backs were doing. Harris and Fenwick later in the game to the right side. Um, but the screen game is something that if they could you know, get that situated. If they could hit a couple of those plays, it would really, really help. Totally agree with you there.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll see if that um if that plays out. There, all right. I'm going to hit a few questions through here. Somebody, I don't, I don't know, if, has anyone else heard this or seen this? Have you seen this, Chris? Somebody asked, and generally we don't really deal in rumors, you know, publicly. But um, one of the guys asked did anyone hear about a fan supposedly cussing out Ryan Helensky on Saturday night. I. That's completely new to me. Yeah, have you seen anything about this anywhere, Chris? No, I heard a lot of cussing at the game. But I, did, I didn't hear that specifically, no. Uh, and why – I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> That's. I mean, why would somebody be cussing out somebody who didn't play in the game? I don't uh, – if you can, you know, provide a little more info on that, go for it. But I, I don't really know where that came from. Uh, let's see – Question about Brooks. Yeah, nothing new on Brooks. They're still working through it, Muschamp said. And, man, Chris, I still think that that's a huge part moving forward. If they can – even if it's week three, week four, wh- whenever it is, I, I think getting him in the mix what would be big for this team and, and something that um, obviously they – there will still be a complaint, right, And that you didn't have him for however many weeks he, he misses – but I think at any point you'd um, you'd certainly rather have him than, than not have him. So all right, let, let's sort of, and we're gonna have a Florida guy, we think we hope on the show later on this week, Chris, but i'm I'm looking at it. what you know, w- what is the path to a South Carolina win in this game? because I do think we're we're sort of at that moment where, all we have to read in on or read too much in on is one week. But one week of South Carolina and one week that we've seen from Florida t- says that this is going to be tough. There's a reason that this is almost a three-touchdown line in, in Vegas. So I think – and I don't know if you have a feel for it yet, but it's going to be interesting to see as the week goes on. It, is there a real path other than just Florida You know, d- does not play well? to South Carolina winning this game. But before you answer that, tell everybody about Affordable Medical USA and the game day chair.
1: Yeah, so as you guys know, Affordable Medical Equipment and the game day chair is our primary sponsor here on GC Live, so we appreciate that. So, look, if you're a Gamecock fan this season, chances are much higher, especially this year, 2020. You're watching the team play from the comforts of your own home. Home's definitely comfortable. You got your big screen, your couch, your AC, or your heat as it keeps getting colder, clean bathroom, beverage of choice, right? But you may be missing the most comfortable chair you've ever experienced, and that is affordable medical equipment's game day chair. It's the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight technology, and that's a recliner that can put you in a variety of positions, including the Twilight position, which is a zero gravity position. It features a power pillow lumbar adjustment, custom positioning with the push of a button. And also you can check out an upgrade of Brisa fabric, which is what they use in Gulfstream jets if you really want to be highfalutin. So to maximize your comfort on game day, check out the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. How you find them? AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Search for the Maxi Comfort Cloud. If you're on YouTube, which we hope you are, uh, look down in our description. We got a link there or on GamecockCentral.com's front page the GC Live story module. There's a link in there for the game day chair too. So
0: you make sure you check that out. Good stuff, man. So what what's your path to a South Carolina W? Well,
1: I, I was actually asked this earlier today doing doing a, a Gators podcast, Gator Centric podcast. And um <laughs> here's what I think. You know, South Carolina lost the game versus Tennessee because they lost the turnover battle. This this is what Jeremy Pruitt said after the games. Look, we didn't play all that well. South Carolina certainly didn't play as well as they could either. Uh, but the bottom line was South Carolina turned it over twice. One of them was a pick six. And then Tennessee did not turn it over. And so that was really the key in that game. You know, you have, you, you can't, when you got two evenly matched teams, you can't lose a turnover battle. Certainly... Uh, you can't expect to go down to the swamp and lose the turnover battle again. This is something that Muschamp's talked about even today. He said, we have got to get the ball off people. We discussed this yesterday, Wes. I mean, um, first two years, they were really good in that category. They were as good as anybody in the SEC or even in the country. And then the past two years, it's sort of gone backwards for whatever reason. And so they've got to get back to that offensively. They can't turn it over, certainly not for defensive score. Um they're going to have to go down there and win the turnover margin, I think, by two, by three. So they're going to have to find a way to force some Florida mistakes. Offensively, they got to take really good care of the football. they got to play an extremely clean game, certainly much more clean than they did last week. And they're going to have to, I think, capitalize, you know, on any scoring opportunities that they get. But my, my biggest one is that turnover margin. You, you have absolutely got to force some turnovers in this game. That's what we saw South Carolina last year that shocking you know Georgia game where they go down to Athens what was the difference Georgia probably you think of the more talented team probably the better team that day they weren't because they turned it over one of them being an Israel Mckwamo pick six three interceptions overall it's not going to be a formula to win a game in the SEC so if South Carolina wants to recreate that I think that's what they have to do against the Gators
0: by the way a couple of people are asking about uh, the Muschamp presser that is if you go to our uh, if you're already on our YouTube, just click over. Um, that is now up on our YouTube page. If you're watching on another platform, uh, it's just YouTube.com slash Gamecock Central would be the best, easiest way to find it. So, yeah, I think you're right, man. I, I think uh, Stickman and, and some of the other folks in our, our chat here have it right as well. You, you've got to put pressure on Kyle Trask. And I, I think with, with Florida, man, you you've got to find a way to get them out of a comfort zone, right? I mean – you look at Ole Miss and and that Jordan Rogers video you were talking about earlier, the fact that Florida ran essentially the same play. Now they're doing it out of different formations. They're doing it with a little bit, you know, window dressing here and there, but for Trask, and this is something we've heard people say about Mike Bobo as well. It can look different to the opponent, but to the quarterback, it's, it's one read, right? Not one read, but it's the same read. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a lot of these plays, or in some of those plays, and, and I thought, by the way, side note, Jordan Rodgers, I would say has really developed into being a good on-air presence, you know, analysis guy. Was very impressed with that video. Yep. Um, Did a really good job of explaining it. And, you know, I think you watch it and you learn something, right? Well, Mullen is known for this, where – He's got a little bit of spurrier to him in that if if you don't stop it, he's going to continue to run a concept until you show you can stop it. Now, the concept that he ran against them, it may be a completely different go-to concept that he runs this week. So you're you know South Carolina certainly going to prepare for that. Little, you know, he called it circus, uh, which is basically, uh, you know, a corner with a flat underneath it on one side, a uh, post or a dig, depending on middle of field open, middle of field closed down the middle, and then a um, basically like a hitch comeback with a flat route attached to it on the back side of the throw. If you haven't, just go to Jordan uh, Rogers on Twitter if you haven't seen this. Really good stuff. Well, yeah. you know, Mullin's gonna keep doing stuff like that until you show that that you can stop it. And I think the other thing about that that stood out was there was actually a couple of times where Trask got to the third, the fourth, and then even the fifth read on this call, right? So the fact that he, anytime a quarterback is getting to a fifth read for one means the guy's very, very comfortable in, this offensive scheme and in whatever play call you're, you know, that you're in. Right. But it also means your offensive line has given you a tremendous amount of time to work through those things and a complete entire field read too. Right. I mean, this is not a lot of times coaches will, will simplify and cut the field in half, or it's a one 2 read to, to one side. And then it's just a quick, you know, a drop off to the other side. He's doing full field reads from one side to the other, working himself back around. So to me, that that tells you both of those things. He's very comfortable. And that this offensive line did a really good job against Ole Miss. Yeah, so that, that
1: to me is another key. Could South Carolina win up front? Big challenge facing the Tennessee offensive line because that's a good group. South Carolina, you know, they had some drives where they got gashed by the run, particularly the one where, where Tennessee tempoed them some. They got to clean those things up. But ability-wise, South Carolina matched up fairly well against Tennessee. Um, they had one play where they almost got a turnover. Garantano was able to fall on the football. Uh, but they affected him. Garantano said after the game, a lot of people were pointing out, well, if Garantano was better throwing the football, that would have been a different game, which I totally agree with. He had some guys open. But the difference was South Carolina did a good job affecting him. Garantano said, I, I, I felt pressure, anticipated pressure, and so I sailed some throws. That's good defensive football up front. So if, if Carolina – if Trask has all day to stand back there, it's going to be an extremely long day. You know, and side, a side piece of that is that they're going to be able to run the ball effectively from that point. You know, something Muschamp pointed out today, and we talked about it a little bit earlier in the program, you know, Mullen wants to run the ball. What we talk about Trask and Pitts and the receivers, he wants to go run it. You know, they were almost seven yards a carry against Ole Miss. If South if they even approach that against South Carolina, it's again it's a long day. So that's what they they've got to win this game up front to have an opportunity to go affect Kyle Trask and not let him stand back there and deliver the football and get Florida, like you said, Wes, off rhythm.
0: Yeah, and I man, to give uh, Trask credit. I would say this – I mean, this guy has improved a ton with his opportunity to play. I mean, I remember watching him first half last year, you know, against South Carolina. I I really wasn't even that impressed with what I was seeing. And now some of that may have been the weather and the fact that, uh, you know, it was, it was raining all day. But I, I'm watching. I'm like, the this guy is throwing lollipops out here. And – like, the ball was not coming out of his hand fast. Now, he, he throws, you know, a decent spiral. It is catchable. But didn't really appear to have a very strong arm. And I, I even I even turned to the person I was watching the game with, and I was like, Trask is going to throw an interception soon. Like, it's going to happen. Because he the ball is just not getting there as quick as most quarterbacks I see that come through Williams-Price Stadium. And sure enough, Jamie Robinson... Had a pick uh, to start the second half. But then Trask actually made the big throws that needed to be made as the game went on, and South Carolina did not. Uh, So good
1: pocket presence, too. You know, like you think about that fourth down play that was so critical for Florida. He's out of the pocket. He buys a little bit of time and just sort of dinks it over to, I think, a tight end. I mean, no, it might have been a receiver. I'm I'm not sure, but that that was a key play in the game. And and much, something Muschamp mentioned is is just his
0: pocket presence, even outside the pocket. Yeah. So he he operates like a veteran now. Yeah. Like he's an older guy. He's comfortable. He know he is completely comfortable within this offense. Comfortable with his weapons. And and they you know they go make plays for him. So uh, you know that it's it's going to be tough. And they they may be the class of the East based on what we have seen so far uh, you know so so we'll see now it, it, it's one week we, it, we we are all guilty of getting caught up in what we see in one week if Florida's defense continues to struggle like they did against Ole Miss there may be some opportunities for a South Carolina offense to continue to go out and score a little bit more than maybe we we all anticipated them being able to do let's um and uh, we're probably going to close it out here shortly but there, there were a couple of comments I wanted to get to from the chat on YouTube. Um, Shy Smith, obviously, and, and I, I went back through the, the PFF stuff. Fifteen targets on Saturday, with ten receptions. Obviously, career type day. He, you know, he was he was one or two little things short of it being just an absolute elite day, right? The interception going, you know, sort of going off him. A couple of drops, but can and and somebody had a point on here earlier. I think it was Stickman. Does he have the physicality to hold up for an entire season? You know, getting targeted fifteen times in the in the SEC level. And there was, um, as WJM Four points out, there was a very obvious um, frustration level from Shy. As this game progressed now, some of that, Chris, I think in a strange way, I actually I think you kind of like to see like you can tell he cares. He's competing. He's out there. It matters to him. And this was a very chippy game as it went on. The receivers are getting mugged with nothing being called. And that continued throughout the game.
1: So was I, I, there? A, sorry, Wes. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Was was there a a holding on the line on either line, like offensive
0: line? I don't recall one. Uh, I I don't I don't think so. And I mean, you know,
1: and I get so South Carolina's defensive line was frustrated. I'm sure at some point South Carolina's offensive line held Tennessee because you don't go through a game like this without. Committing a holding penalty, it's really a question of do they call any. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, Shy, there was a, a third down play where, I mean, he got abs- – I posted it on Twitter. He got absolutely mugged. The DB slaughter, I mean, he had his back turned. He's pulling his arm, and he's pulling him down when the ball arrives, and the back judge just stares at it. Nothing. So, yeah, I mean, and Shai's always been very demonstrative. I remember watching him. When Union County came down, Steve Tannehill was there at the time, and Union County came down when he was an underclassman, was seven on seven, and I was frustrated with how his team was playing. And so, you know, pour, pouring into that game, I think you could see it. Now, you don't want it to affect performance. I don't think it did because he was he was up to the challenge the whole game, but I'm sure it was frustrating. And maybe you're right. It might be a positive that he cares. The, the alternative is he doesn't care. He's just sort mm-hmm. of lackadaisical out there.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I think moving forward, yes, Shai is going to be a a big part of the game, and uh, I think he'll be a big part of every game plan. But as we've said all show, um, him stepping up um, is good, but he's going to need guys around him to step up as well. But um, to to the person's point, yes, Shai was fired up, but. I think you kind of see why and you you want you want a guy to have energy like that so as long as you can walk the line and as long as you know Muschamp pulled him over there and sort of hugged him and sort of calmed him down a little bit you'd rather have but you'd still rather have to calm a guy down than you would have to start him up I want to get to one final thing Chris you mentioned this in your insider report I don't know how much we've talked about it I'm sure we've hit on it but the second half play of the offense compared to the second half play of South Carolina's offense a lot of times last year yep. has to be a has to be something that is considered a big positive because I mean they scored what was it four of six possessions in the second half. Is that right? And yeah, that's right. man, what, one of these possessions they get a really nice, they get a really nice run from White. I think on on first or second down, and I, I think they had a nice gain on first down. They were stopped just short on second down, and then they did that little end around handoff to Shy that was marked short on third down. So it was like you had a second and kind of short, then you had a third and short, and you didn't get it, but. You're still – anytime you start a drive, sort of staying ahead of the chains. And, and I even thought – I was like, man, it'd be gutsy, but this may be a time. It's just fourth and one. Colin Hill has shown an ability to sneak the ball successfully with his big frame. Keeping the offense on the field here and getting a first down would be massive because they had some momentum. But point being, that wasn't a drive where they just went backwards. Like, they were, they were off to a good start there as well. Second half offensively looked completely different than most of the first half. And considering how few times they were able to do that last year, I mean, Chris, you broke it down. I knew it like from the eye test, but I didn't realize how just demonstrative that difference was.
1: Yeah. So beginning of the Tennessee game, first drive of the the Mike Bobo offensive area, they go down and score. So you go, all right, here we go. Then the rest of the first half unfolds. They got seven points to the half, and you go, here we go again, <laughs> you know, with that. But then they come out and score 20, and they didn't do that last year. Uh, they did it against Charleston Southern. I think they had 28. That was obviously a route from start to finish. Um, so, you know, Florida, I think last year they actually did score 17 in the second half. That was before the offense really, really fell off a cliff. But the problem was Florida scored I think 28, in the second half, I know they had 21 in the fourth quarter. Right. So that was the biggest issue there. Uh, but Carolina just couldn't second half wise. That's why we exited that season with so many fans talking about adjustments in the second half. What, how are you going to adjust? And so Mike Bowen made some adjustments, you know, and and they went out to their credit and executed them. So credit the offense and credit, credit him for doing that. They They did enough offensively in the second half, you know, to go win that game. So, That's going to be a key, you know, throughout the season is when teams adjust to South Carolina. We've seen it at Florida two straight years. It happened in the swamp. You remember the 2018 game in the swamp? What Mm -hmm. was the story of that? Second half adjustments. And so obviously they're going to have to defensively play extremely well. They got a very tall order, uh, but they're going to, you know, have to adjust in the second half as well because Florida's, you know, done a number on them the past couple of years in that. Last year again, better with seventeen seventeen second half points pretty good. Uh, but they gotta be really good there, you
0: know, against Florida too. Yeah, and man, Muschamp has got to be sick to his stomach if you look back at those last two Florida games. Cole. Yeah. Both of them opportunities to win, right? Opportunities yeah. to go. Uh get key key victories at the time, and uh South Carolina unable to do it in the uh you know, in, in the the big moment, second, you know, in the second half, uh, had a, had another question about Joiner and Doty. I mean, Doty was not on the field. He'll get on the field this week. Joiner was on the field. You know, he was he was out there a lot of times when they were in three receiver sets. It was either Joiner or Josh Van. They rotated in. So, you know, take take from that what you will. But, um, you know, I. They were looking at other receivers. I, I think it's just a matter again of of guys being able to to get out and um and and you know make plays and, and get open. Uh, let's take one more question here on Facebook. Keith on Facebook, uh, did I misunderstand what I've been reading preseason that the O line was one of our best units? What happened? Talent gap, fa- failure to execute, just something that we'll be dealing with all year. I mean, I, I think Keith for one um and the way we ch- sort of tried to phrase it would be that they are hoping and that the offensive line is going to need to be the unit that this offense leans on because there is talent at that position. There is some experience at that position and um that's not necessarily the case where you have a bunch of proving guys at, at some of the other positions on offense. Um I frankly thought the offense the offensive line would be a bit more consistent against Tennessee, particularly when I read that Tennessee has struggled on their defensive line in preseason practice, right I mean I I was a little bit surprised at some of the pressures across you know around the edge that Tennessee was able to get on uh, you know on, on Saturday. but I do still think this is a talented O line. I think in this league you're you're never going to just be dominant on the offensive line. So for South Carolina, it's about the hope and, and Billy on Facebook used the word manhandled in the trenches. I don't think South Carolina got manhandled throughout the game. I I feel like at times Tennessee won the battle. Now there were times in the second half when South Carolina was driving, when they started really knocking Tennessee around and and had some nice runs. I, I mentioned it yesterday, sort of to the outside on the perimeter where you're finding, you know, you're gashing them out there. So it, it's, it's easy to sit here and just say, well, the O-line got whipped. I don't think it's that simple. At times they got whipped, especially in the first half. At times they did some whipping of their own. So I think you you look at it, there's definitely a lot to improve on, but I, I still think this offensive line has the potential to be much better than, uh, than we saw on Saturday. But we also just have to keep it in perspective that – you're going to see really athletic defensive fronts week in, week out.
1: Yeah, and when when we talk about the strength, I think sometimes people um, sort of equate us talking about the strength of a particular side of the ball as meaning it's elite, and that's not what we mean when we say that, right? Like what would have been anybody's pick about this? If you said what's the strongest position on the team, what would have been anybody else's pick? Is it running back where they don't have Marshawn Lloyd and they lost four seniors? Is it tight in with Nick Muse coming back from an ACL and a bunch of unproven players? Is it receiver where it's Shy Smith and then hoping a bunch of guys step up? Quarterback Colin Hill, maybe, but he's even a question mark because of the health and just stepping into a new situation with unproven playmakers. It'd be the offensive line. and And I do think sometimes people look at the stats, look at the rushing stats, or they look at, uh, sacks for instance sacks is a big one people look at well, we gave it this me sacks the offensive line stinks Well, one of those was on a receiver one was on a tight end one was a coverage sack you know uh, so you know the running game the passing game in terms of protection all those things work hand in hand and you know you go back i think you made a good point west first drive south carolina dominated tennessee first job they're pushing them back there's plenty of time uh, some of the other jobs they dominated other times tennessee won some one-on-one battles uh, they sent some pressures, did a good job. You know they had a coverage sack, so there were some issues that were created. But the point is, nobody. Uh, uh, you made a great point. Nobody is going to dominate from week to week. When when people ask when is South Carolina going to have a dominant offensive line, the answer is never. Nobody is going to have one. It just does not happen. South Carolina, Georgia's offensive line last year. Has there ever been as much hype as that team on that offensive line, like ever? Um, loaded with five stars, NFL players, either current or or future, they got whipped. South Carolina whipped them. It was one game, but the the point is, I'm not saying everybody should be happy with the performance of the offensive line. Save is great. Nothing needs to improve. But the word you use, perspective. I think you have to look at what's happening around the line, and always keep in mind that. You know, you're not going to be dominated on every play because the other teams got really good
0: athletes too. Yeah, and, and as Muschamp pointed out, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's a tight end. If if one guy goes unblocked, right, that your your play is not going to work. Yeah, and even you know Muschamp mentioned the backside, and if you don't seal off the guy on the backside of a play, and there's any type of disruption on the front side then your running back has to hesitate. He's trying to be patient. And then guess what? This linebacker or defensive end from the backside of the play is closing in on you, and and the whole thing gets blown up. So football, I mean, that's like the beautiful thing about football is that it takes every single person. Now the difficult thing, watching it, especially live, it's very difficult to pick up on what happened and watch all 11 kids at the same time yep I mean sometimes even if I'm re-watching a play you got to go back multiple times just to see so it's really it's easy to say oh the o line's got to do better but is it is it one guy is it one position is it the tight end needs to block better is there sometimes the receivers need to block better so, it's there's more nuance, I think, than just being like, "Oh, the O line's not any good." <laughs> so, anyway, man, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna effort a, a Florida media person. Maybe we'll get a former Gamecock on at some point this week as well. Otherwise, uh, you got anything else for today, Chris?
1: I do have one more. My man Josh mentioned that the game day chair it's just missing a mini fridge underneath Josh. I I know you, I know the game day chair is, is right up your alley or down your alley, whatever the terminology is. I think you should get it and see if you can fit a fridge under there and then let us know. Uh, so yeah, that's my closing thought game mini fridge underneath the game day chair.
0: Appreciate everybody's participation. So Josh, (laughs) let us know. Yeah. Let us know, Josh. Um, Very good idea. All right, folks, uh, we will see you tomorrow, I'm guessing, probably 2 o'clock again. You know how it is. We are not always set in our times. We are set in our ways, though, I think. So uh, for Chris, I am Wes. If you're joining us late, check out the uh, archive on YouTube, or if you want to just listen to us, we're on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, um, Google Play, all that good stuff. So for Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you tomorrow